You're listening to the Joyous Journeys in Life and Business podcast, episode number 44. In today's episode, I interview Louise O'Reilly, who is an inclusion, diversity, equity and allyship in business coach. I am a member of Louise's Inclusion Creators Collective, a membership for coaches and people in the online entrepreneurial space to help them learn how they can create safer space for marginalized people. This has to be one of my most favorite episodes that I've recorded with a guest so far. We go so deep into some really, really juicy but important topics in the modern online space, but particularly important in the coaching and healing space. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know it's a long one, but it's worth a listen. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Joyous Journeys in Life and Business podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Joy, and on this show, we talk about inspirational journeys in life and entrepreneurship. Through soulful conversations with inspiring guests, you're sure to get clear, get organized, get enlightened, and get moving on your dream business with the perfect blend of strategy and alchemy. Welcome back to the Joyous Journeys in Life and Business podcast. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest, Louise O'Reilly. Welcome, Louise. (laughs) Hello, hello. Thank you so much for the invitation. For those of you who don't know Louise, Louise is a Warrenungar woman creating cultural inclusion, diversity, equity and allyship in business with her profound work. She works with entrepreneurs to develop expansive leadership that creates a positive impact in the world, including how to be a true ally for our to our most marginalised people. I want to say that I personally am a member of Louise's Inclusion Creators Collective membership and absolutely love the way that Louise guides me and others to really unpack our unconscious bias and uh, biases and just learn how to create more inclusive and safer space for the most marginalised people in society. Louise, firstly, thank you for being here, but thank you for your amazing work. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about this stuff. It's, it's you know, something that I feel really deeply about and I just love the space that you hold in this, you know, in this niche so well. Oh, thank you. And, you know, it's it's my two favourite things, talking about inclusion, diversity, equity and allyship and talking. So I'm all for this. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. We have some things in common. Oh, of course. <laughs> love it. Love it. Louise, tell us about your journey to doing this work. How, how did this start? How did you arrive in this space? Oh, well, I arrived in this space by being born, in all honesty, um, because uh, my mother is Aboriginal, my father is non-Aboriginal, so my father's heritage is Scandinavian, um, majority Scandinavian, and my mum's heritage is Aboriginal, and that's how um, that, that side of the family identifies. So really, it's being born into it in this day and age, into the Australian context, Um, And growing up as a small child, I really did notice how different communities of people were treated differently. And I definitely observed how my family and my Aboriginal community were treated differently within our wider community, um, the township that we were in. 
And I always ask myself the question, why was that? Um, and I think it's really quite sad, actually, to think that a child, you know, I started asking these questions in my mind when I was probably around five or six years old. So that's a really early time to start uh, observing how differently people are treated based on how they identify or the community that they belong to. And in my little mind, the only thing I could see was that we were constantly excluded or um, not treated in as nice a way as as you know, the white community were. Um, and so I started drawing these really sad conclusions about myself and my community that, you know, maybe we're bad or maybe we're wrong or maybe we shouldn't exist or um, we're unwelcome. So all these things started happening and I want to talk about it because I don't think children should ever have to go through that particular experience where you don't feel like you belong in your own country. You don't be, you don't belong anywhere, um, even though this this is our home. Um, and that kind of went on for a long time, um, and it had some really big mental um, mental wellness effects on me. Really, you know. Identity is such a big part of who a human is. And there was part of me, I've always identified as Aboriginal and I've always felt that is who I am. My heart tells me, my wearing, my spirit tells me that's who I am. But I was told by community, by all these little social cues, that that's not who people want around. That's not what people want to be with them. That's not who they want to communicate. That's not um who they want to include so it was really hard growing up and trying to work out who I was and how I fit in the world because I knew I didn't fit so that had some really bad effects on me mentally but the big thing that came into when I actually stepped into the business kind of side of it and went you know I've actually got to do something about this was when I was pregnant with my first baby and I was so overjoyed. It was such a magical, wonderful thing to fall pregnant with my first child. But then it hit me so hard that I'm going to be birthing my baby into this world that didn't have the greatest effect or impact on me. And I'm going to bring this baby into the world. So I just knew from that point I had to do something. I needed and I had this feeling within me, I have to change something to make it so my child doesn't experience what I did, even if that means changing the world. So that's what I always say. I'm going to try, I don't care. I'm going to change the world for my babies and all the babies so they don't have to feel the same things that I felt. They don't have to experience the same kinds of exclusion, um, discrimination and racism, colorism that I experienced, genderism, sexism, all those things I experience. So it's not just a singular kind of discrimination. It is a discrimination based on many communities that I belong to. And I was just like... That's it. That's what um, that what needs what needs to be done. So that's how I did it. <laughs> wow. I mean, that hit me right in the chest when you said I started doing this work because I was born. Um, yeah. And you know, I knew what I knew what you were saying there. I read between the lines. Um, that's pretty powerful. I'd love to know. What age was it that that really started to impact on your mental well-being? 
I'll I'll get into that in a second, but I just was wondering, can I do a quick acknowledgement of country before we go any further? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, for those of you who don't know what an acknowledgement of country is, it's something that is very customary to um, the Aboriginal community to do, but it's becoming more of a uh, cultural practice that the wider community are doing too. And it's a way of acknowledging the custodians of the lands um, where we, we're, we're having meetings or events or things like that from. So I, Louise O'Reilly of the Wadawa and Noongar people, would like to acknowledge the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation as the traditional and ongoing custodians of the lands and waters on which I'm coming to you from. Um, I pay respects to the elders here. Um, I thank them so much for their community guidance, their leadership, their love, their support. And I always feel like crying when I say this because I just have so much love for our elders and so much respect for them in everything that they do. Um, and I also wish to pay respects to the custodians of the lands on which you're listening from and pay respects to the elders in whatever title they refer to themselves on the lands on which you're from as well. So oh, I always get emotional doing an acknowledgement of country because it is just so special to do. It really is. It really is. And, um, I, you know, I, I acknowledge the Gumbangia people uh, and in particular the Garbi elders who are the uh, the traditional custodians and elders of the land of the northern part of the Gumbangia country on which I live, work and play. Um, I do acknowledge in our notes the uh, the Gumbangia people and, and that this podcast is recorded on Gumbangia country um, and I just really acknowledge and thank the elders, both past, present and emerging. Um, certainly their connection to the land and the waters here is um, is profound and, you know, absolutely recognise that these are unceded lands and, you know, it always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. So yeah, yeah, yeah. very, so, very grateful to live on this country. Absolutely. So to all the Gumbangira mob out there, Ginigay, I say hello Ginigay. to you, Ginigay. Um, <laughs> here, here on Noongar country we say Kaya, Kaya is hello. Um, yeah. It's also yes. Yeah. So there you go. So on to your question that you Love just it. asked me. Yeah. What so, age did I start feeling that? Um, mm. It would have been around the five, six-year-old um, yeah. age that I really wow. started thinking about it. And um, what I also so found. And it's yeah. just so young. I was expecting yeah. you would say, oh, you know, the teen years started no. to kick in. But that no. just goes to show how young these subliminal messages yeah. that children receive about their identity yeah what kind of a toll that that has the awareness and I know even as a teacher I've seen that you know I've seen children coming to school and it's almost around that same age of that you know noticing that they're different noticing that they're you know that they don't have the same lunches as other kids or they don't have the yep. same belongings as the other kids you know um, they don't have the same uniform or you know health as other kids it's really yeah. really noticeable um yep. you know just wow it started to take its toll on you that early yep yep and I actually found that the children um were very accepting and very open and loving so it was very accepting at that age mm -hmm. but I found that discrimination was actually from the adults it was from 
you know, the authority figures. Parents. It was from the teachers, the parents, the, you know, uh, the police, the whoever. It is actually the discrimination from adults onto children, which was the terrible, horrible part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it you certainly did um, see that. And certainly within my school community, I noticed there was lots of exclusion. Uh, and there was like these kind of attempts at inclusion. So things like um, murals with Aboriginal artwork, so community art pieces were done, um, certainly participation in like a NADOC day um, and things like that happen. But what I then drew, the conclusion I drew in my own mind as a child was, okay, well, I'm not con- included, our culture is not included in any other part um, and throughout the whole year. But come something like a NADOC day, we're front and centre and it's it's a really, to me, it was an icky feeling. Oh, wow. I had a really icky feeling that my existence as an Aboriginal person didn't matter until those days. And so I, in my mind, I kind of thought, you know, they just don't see us. They just don't see us. That's okay. They don't see us. But then when those days came around, I realised they do see us. They know we're there, but they're actually ignoring us the entire time. Mm-hmm. So that is a whole different level um, of rejection that you feel from from your community because we're, we're social social beings. Everyone's a social being, and we all want to belong to multiple types of communities. And especially, um, I felt going to school. We had to go to school, right? Yeah. But it's not a place that's necessarily safe for us. Um, and it's not a place that we feel like we belong or we're wanted. So it was. it's very difficult to attend things like schools and other kinds of um, social spaces that are outside family. Mm. So, yeah, it was really quite early on, but it didn't really hit that hard um, because you're still a kid. You still just have fun and, you know, you kind of let things go. But it wasn't until it was in my teens when it started to hit really hard because I could see within myself that it's actually easier to exist in society if you're not Aboriginal. And I don't have the stereotypical look of an Aboriginal person. Let me be clear, though, I look like an Aboriginal person because I am an Aboriginal person, but there is this stereotype image of what an Aboriginal person looks like I don't fit that image Mm -hmm. so I can exist in society without people knowing I am Aboriginal and Mm -hmm. oh I'm feeling a bit emotional right now Mm -hmm. um and to think what went through my mind was I could choose to not identify and that could lessen my heartache Mm. it could lessen the pain it could make my life easier to exist as a human but what I realized was um and I did I did try it for a little while to just see you know could I exist in this way because it's really really hard I realized it was harder to deny myself my aboriginality Mm. It was so much harder because I was just an empty shell 
I was just my outside appearance. There was no depth to me. There was no soul to me. There was no spirit to me without my Aboriginality because that's who I am and that's what I've always been called to. That's what my ancestors are calling me to to identify as and be. So, damn, it's it's really really difficult. Um, and I actually wrote I wrote a bit about my backstory and and all those those difficult challenges that I went through. Um, in a book, it was just so is I feel it's so important to talk about it that I contributed a chapter to. Um, the book is called um, A Woman's uh, journey to empowerment and in that chapter I talk about all these little bits and pieces and another another big piece that kind of um, was the final piece of the puzzle in terms of me coming into this particular role because I've actually been in this business for um, I think three years maybe two years I'm not exactly sure I'm not one for <laughs> dates and keeping <laughs> dates like that um, but I have been involved in this kind of work and talking about um, inclusion for many years on a voluntary okay. s- space, but I was spending so much time in it. I was like, why don't I just make it my job? And that way I can just continuously keep doing it and still feed my babies, still get paid for it. So I can put a roof over their head, um, feed them, pay the bills, but do this world changing work at the same time. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I also wanted to just really pick up that sliding doors moment of matrescence and how that was a particular poignant moment in time where you drew that line in the sand and said enough. You know, it's like that moment that you realise that you were creating new life and continuing on those ancestral lines that, you know, your way of claiming ownership over that was to make even better impact, bigger impact yeah. for your children and all children. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that pregnancy and, you know, whether like how that came about with obviously we know how that came about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know? I don't think that, I don't think Facebook's appropriate space for that. <laughs> all, all your podcasts, yeah. maybe. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the matrescent side of it, the, you know, that um going from maiden to mother and how impactful that was in yeah. becoming not only the mother of your children or your mother of that child at that pregnancy but in fact the mother of all children yeah absolutely and um children and youth are particular groups that I hold so much space and love for and I've always felt very drawn to this particular group to support them to listen to them to um provide them guidance and love and all the good stuff with that so it's not it just didn't kind of happen just as being a mom um in the lead up to that I had a lot of um background in working with youth and and children and they're so amazing and so important and I also think that those those particular groups aren't recognized or included in our society either and they are so amazing and so that was part of it but I think um what did it for me what kind of tipped me over the edge was this realization that I'm going to be a mum 
And it's like the mama bear spirit turned on. Um, it was like this, and I do see it as both like um, this bear kind of nurturing but fierceness, but also like a fierceness of a lioness as well. And it's really weird. Um, I, I work with visuals a lot, so they're the kind of images that I draw with those kinds of energies. Um, and I just knew that so many people kept saying this thing over and over. And this is something that I've heard my whole life growing up. That's the way it's always been done. That's the way it's always been done. And to just accept the way things are and it's the way it's always been done. And I've never, my brain works differently. I can recognise my brain works differently to a lot of people's. And I could never understand if people are suffering in some way, why we would settle for what is if there is a continuation of suffering in some way. So I'm always like, well, then let's change it. Mm-hmm. Let's change the thing. And there's so much fear with that change. But because it is so ingrained, that's the way it's always is, just going to have to put up with it. This is what we've put up for centuries or this is what our ancestors always had to put, work through. We can change it. We absolutely have the power to change it. And I knew that I had to do it. I just had to make the decision that I'm going to do something about it because I'm not here to change anyone. I'm not here to make anyone do anything. I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. So with that kind of um, mindset, what's left? It's me. What am I going to do to change it? How am I going to do the things to change it? How am I going to change myself so I no longer support these systems that are discriminating, that are oppressive? And it really is a process of breaking down the unconscious biases within yourself, becoming aware of those things, becoming aware of my own privileges, looking at how I can actually make an impact in the world And it doesn't have to be a global scale that everyone knows who you are or anything like that. It could literally be that you did something that made someone feel seen Mm -hmm. or heard or their identity validated. And that can really change a life. Mm -hmm. And that can really change the trajectory that someone's future has. So how can I do that? How can I change my language so that it is supportive or inclusive? How can I alter my behaviour in a way that is inclusive or supportive? How can I run my business in a way that feels welcoming, that values difference, um, that feels safer to be in? So that's the kind of things that I was asking myself. And I'm a big believer in role modelling. So if people see what I'm doing, they love this vision of a future that I want to have, you know, one where every single person feels safe and free to express themselves in whatever way they feel drawn to, their soul calls them to. That's the kind of future I want. I don't want people to fear discrimination. I don't want people to be oppressed. And I'm trying to make steps to get there. And if you love that vision too, you can come along the ride. Absolutely. 
you know, brings me to that, um, to mind that saying, you know, if not you, then who? If not yeah. now, then when? Yeah. And I know I whip that one out every now and again with my kids, but, you know, it really does come to mind is like, who's going to do this work? And if it's not you, who? And if it's not now, then when? You know, yeah. because I think it does, it starts with us. And even though it may, it may just, you know, validate someone's identity or make someone feel seen or safe for the very, very first time when they're out socialising outside of that family unit, that always goes on to have a ripple effect. Yeah. You know, in the mm -hmm. best possible way. And it's about making those positive ripples rather than making tsunamis that, you know, wipe out whole communities of people and, you know, just continue to perpetuate the, the, these oppressive systems that we already have it's it's huge it really yeah. is like just something so small can make such a difference absolutely I, it's just turning that dial and then keep turning it <laughs> <laughs> keep turning it because it's a life's work isn't it it's not a yeah. work it's a life's work like yep. this work is a life's work mm -hmm. it's not a season's work no no absolutely it's um but it's beautiful it is it's beautiful work too because it really is inner work that you're doing it really is communing with yourself um and looking and asking yourself who do I want to be what do I want to create in this world how do I want to show up for myself? How do I want to show up for my family? How do I want to show up for my clients or my audience? Mm -hmm. um, and really making conscious decisions on, okay, how do I make this thing happen? Because we are just bombarded as soon as we're born with social conditioning. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel love and we want to be accepted. We want all those things. So we're always collecting information about what's acceptable in terms of our society and what's not acceptable. And we will do the things that are acceptable so we can fit within the community. We will belong and be accepted in the community because that's actually something we require as humans. We require that for our survival. Um, and so if you're seeing people mistreated and so they're ostracized from community and society and they're not wanted, quite often we'll pick up those messages, those stories that they are lesser humans or they don't belong or I can't, or even if you don't think that, you might just think I can't actually associate with those people because then I might be ostracized as well. I might not belong as well. So. You pick up all these little things and if you, you know, if you've been listening to Sharon, I'm sure Sharon said, you know, we work on autopilot a lot. So there's lots of these things on um, going on in, in our unconscious and most know. of our lives, it's just autopilot. Yeah. And so we are behaving in ways and we are speaking in ways that actually are misaligned to our own value system. Mm -hmm. So we might have a value of inclusion um, and kindness but our autopilot makes us do something in a way that makes someone feel bad or uh, discriminates or excludes in some way and we don't even know we're doing it. So true. Which really, you know, I think for people listening and this is definitely what I've gotten out of your work and also 
um, Tara, Bro Tara Brown's work as well, who I've I've followed and, and done some of her anti-bias work is, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person, no. it, you know, but to do the work is what helps you, you know, we're going to be called out. We're going to make mistakes on this journey and that's okay. Like it yep. doesn't make you a bad person, you know, and I think that that is just, such an important message for people who are starting out on this work because, you know, we we do often really just want to get everything right and the reality is it's sitting in the uncomfortable of an acceptance of I'm not always going to get it right. There's going yeah. to be, you know, things that are, you know, not seen or not understood and, mm -hmm. and we can we can work with that. It does, it's not a reflection on us as being, you know, good or bad. It's not about yeah. that. You know, but like as you say, often we're actually not living in alignment with what our true values are. And by doing this work, it's like taking off the blinkers to see those unconscious biases and being able to address them. You know, like they can mm -hmm. be things that are so subtle. Yeah. You know, things that people say, you know, like I particularly notice people's vernacular that, you know, people say things and I'm sure that there's things that I say, you know, but there's been words that I have removed completely out of my vocabulary that I will not say, I will not allow spoke in my own home. I will, you know, and it's because there were words that, you know, I hear people still use, yeah. but they don't, they're not thinking that it's actually inappropriate or could be, you know, it's perpetuating marginalisation they don't even see that you know it's not a reflection mm -hmm. that they're good or bad or otherwise it's just it's why this work is so freaking important <laughs> it is it is and language comes under culture so whatever language the, the way casual casual language or formal language it all comes under culture and so um, I want your listeners to really understand that you have a certain paradigm of your own culture and within that paradigm it's perfectly acceptable to say a lot of things. But then you have other cultures and these are marginalised cultures and they, when you use that particular language, it is microaggressions. It is offensive because those particular languages or the, the words you say or phrases you use usually are linked to something in history that is actually quite terrible. And how language progresses a lot of the time is that it will turn from something horrible and then there's a recognition that this word or this phrase harms this community, so I'm going to keep using it. And then as it evolves, you keep using it until it becomes like just casual language and the actual origin of where that came from is no longer known to the culture who was predominantly using it. But the origin of where it comes from is still very well known and documented and shared within the marginalised community that it harms. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this is so true. Um, one of the words I know I will not use is the word slay, you know, just remove that completely out of, of my vocabulary unless it's absolutely I'm certain that it's contextual and you know this is 
there's lots of words like this that, you know, we appropriate the language of other cultures who are still yeah. marginalised. And, I mean, that's a whole, we could do a whole episode on Yes, that. on just on words that are inappropriate to use. Just on words. I've got a, I've got a real sitting in draft that's been there now for a while and I just so want to share it um, yeah. around, you know, the use of that particular word. And, you know, it's just... You know, I know my daughter's come home and said it and, you know, and I'm just like, we need to have a chat about that word, like, you know, because I don't think you you know the context and I only knew because I went looking for it. So it's, um, that's a whole, that's just, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? I know there that heaps. Um, the Paralympics was actually a great opportunity for, you know, for open conversation in my household around, you know, the use of appropriate language to mm-hmm. um, to talk about, you know, people with disabilities and, you know, preferencing yeah. people before the disability and, you know, those sorts of things. And it just, it's, a, it's actually a really great learning for anyone who's listening and wants to, you know, just do some work around this. Like I would say start with language because when yeah. you start exploring, you know, um, people will say, you know, PC words of what's politically correct or not correct when you actually scratch away at the surface and you know and not go down that path that you really realize how harmful the words we say that are casual language Mm -hmm. are just you know perpetuating the problem yep yep and you know the thing is Quite often people will use political correctness as, oh, this is going too far. There's nothing political about it. There yeah. absolutely is nothing. But there is a lot human about it. Yeah. Um, so if you as a human know some word you're using is harming another human in some way, you then have a choice. You can choose to continue using it or you can choose to not use it. But you now have the knowledge that that's harmful and it's your choice how you want it. It's a humanitarian thing. It's not a political thing. Not political. It's so true. It's so true. You know, when, yeah, whenever that conversation, the PC conversation comes up, um, I usually duck for cover because that's exactly how I see it is no, it's not, it's, there's nothing political about it. You know, we're making, Mm -hmm. we're politicizing it to mask the fact that somebody's getting hurt, much like the structures in our society. (laughs) Sadly, sadly, but true right that's that's how it works um Louise I'd love to and I think I think we've probably just covered this but I'm going to go there specifically around coaching spaces so talking Mm -hmm. about the coaching industry because you work with a lot of coaches and healers you know people Mm -hmm. in the the online entrepreneurial space why is anti-bias work so important in this particular space Um, Well, the main reason it's so important is because it's meant to be a healing space, right? And if you are going in and you're saying, I'm a coach um, and I'm going to help you heal in some way, and I mean, this is coaching for anything, even if you're a business coach, business coaching is about healing still. It's all about healing. Um, So, but then you don't have, um, I guess, an idea or a recognition that your own biases, your own coaching space that you're creating, your own um, systems that you're using in your business actually can be unsafe for marginalised people. 
Um, so the, the space you're setting up, you're going, hey, come here, come work with me. This is a healing space. I'm going to work with you on all these things. And yet you're not doing the work to recognize your own biases and how you might be contributing to some form of harm or oppression in some way. And then you're working with people. You can harm them greatly in that space because they come into that space expecting that they're going to be very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, They're probably going to open up to you a lot. And so it's like a whole nother level of allowing a human into your life is when you take someone on as a coach. And then to have that person that you've put so much trust into do something, it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be an ideology, it could be something along those lines while you're in that vulnerable space and they harm you, it is so dangerous. And this is probably a very big reason why a lot of marginalised people don't work with people who are considered the highest privileged people um, if they are in that coaching space. They will tend to find coaches who look like them, identify like them because they have the same, um, they're not the same. I don't want to say the same because I think that is just, that's incorrect. We all have individual experiences, but there is a greater level of understanding of the human existence that person is having if you can identify the same, if you have the same kinds of communities. Um, so I see lots of coaches saying, you know, I, I really want to be inclusive and I want to have lots of diversity in my clients because I value diversity. I think it's important and all this and that. Um, but then there is a lack of preparation of space to make sure your space is safe for them to come into. And it is quite unfair to expect marginalized people to step into your space if you haven't prepared it for them. If you're not doing the work to um, decolonize your mind or identify what your privileges are, to question some of the stories or the biases about different ex- ethnic groups there are, to look at what do you think about colorism? What do you think about the genderism? What do you think about racism? How are you contributing to those systems and upholding those systems before you invite people to come into that space? Um, because it can cause a lot of harm. But even in terms of the coaching space, understand that the cultures are different too. So something that is standard practice for coaching for, um, I'm going to say Wadjala people, so white people, Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to actually touch on whiteness in a second, if that's okay with you, because I think it's it's really important. Um, It's very different the way we relate to each other in terms of relationships, kinships, all that kind of stuff. In terms of being a coach for someone whose culture is based on community is extremely different. And so if someone comes to you and their culture is based on community and comes to a coach whose culture is based um, very much on individualism and um, self-growth and achievement, you can potentially cause so much damage and so much harm to a whole family and a whole community. And I've seen this happen. And the title coach gives so much authority. And then when that person goes ahead and does what that coach advises, 
it really, really is very damaging to a whole community because that member is very valued within the community. And if they are being asked to remove themselves from a community in some capacity, it's just, it's it's horrendous. It's horrendous the damage that it can cause. Yeah, that's, you know, I think that's just, it's so important. It's so important that, you know, these things are made aware. We become aware of all of that as coaches and, you know, different mm-hmm. cultures, different communities, you know, there are different ways of being in community and, you know, it can be very different, but it's really important to know how, you know, how those people can feel safe and feel supported. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, of course, as well, language, you know, mm -hmm. finding and using appropriate language to support the people in those spaces. Yep, absolutely. And that's... um, and this is what kind of why I do what I do as well, because I have the understandings in based in in terms of a white culture in Australia. What I have that background because that's part of my family is that. And then I also have this knowledge um, in terms of an Aboriginal culture as well. So I can bring that into the coaching. And so if if any of your listeners are interested in getting kind of coaching on doing any kind of anti-racism work or any kind of inclusion work, I encourage you to please make sure the person you're engaging actually has the lived experience within the culture that they're talking about. Because there is no way another person can understand the complexities or the nuances that life as an Aboriginal person or life as a whatever other group of people person has there's no way of being able to understand that completely and share that and and coach you through that so you actually do need to engage with marginalized people to unpack all this stuff and this is also why I say I'm a coach and a mentor because I will put on my coaching hat when we go within you to work out what your values are what your inspiration is how you want the world to be, how you want to show up, all that kind of stuff. That's my coaching hat stuff. But then I also have to teach about culture and teach the things that you would never have experience about because it's not your culture. And that's where I put my mentor hat on and go, well, let me tell you about how this works in this culture because I have that that knowledge and so I can share that with you. So it is a coach-mentor arrangement that you'll have with those particular groups. Um, now, I did mention I want to talk about whiteness. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I really want to talk about whiteness and I probably need to talk about it a whole lot because I've been thinking about it more and more and more and I've been thinking about how much this term or identity of whiteness is stealing from people, from people who identify as white. It is stealing so much from you because there actually is no such thing as whiteness. There is no culture called whiteness. Um, It is like this collective group of people who are essentially all around the world who are lumped in to this space (laughs) called white or whiteness. And it's stripping you of so much rich culture. It strips you of your heritage. It strips you of, um, you know, just things like uh, family recipes, It, um, you know, rituals that you do, customary activities, the 
cultural dress that you have, the types of art, the types of music, the different language you use, the way you gather together, the special events, the ceremonial stuff, it strips people of so much that I believe a human needs to feel whole. Mm. When you when you identify as white, you're not attached to a land. You're not connected to a space. Mm. You're not connected to a people. You're not connected to a community. And I think every culture is beautiful. Every single culture, the language, the colours, the dress, the ceremony, the food, the everything is beautiful. And when we have this concept of whiteness, you are losing out on so much in your life, mm. which is why I always encourage the people that I work with, okay, let's go back to your heritage. What, what is, what's your family line? Who are your ancestors? What did they do? And let's connect back through that way. Mm. Um, and I think even just doing that kind of thing can help lessen cultural appropriation yes. because people can see how special our culture is and how it fills us. It, it feeds our soul in a certain way. Mm. And that beautiful experience that you get, people go, oh, wow, that was amazing. That's so beautiful. I'm and I think everyone should have that experience. I'm going to take that and then I'm going to share it on. So more. So it's like almost like a selfless act. I'm going to take what I experienced and share it on because everyone should be able to experience this thing. Not realizing that's not for them to share. Yeah, that's right. That That's only for that group of people to share with whom they feel is okay to share with. But the truth is everyone has culture. So you have that in your culture. You have that feeling in your culture but whiteness strips it from you mm. yeah it's such a shame mm. thank you for that reflection it's it is so true it is so so true and um as you know as a as a child my best friend was an aboriginal girl and so I spent a lot of time with an Aboriginal family, I would spend lots of time with them. And, you know, it's just really, it's so true. Like it is so true. And I think I had that awareness when I was a 10-year-old, you know, that, oh, like we kind of don't have this. We don't have this. There's something yeah. different that is muted in my life growing up. Um, and this isn't a pity me story, but you're absolutely right. And it wasn't until um, actually it was around about the time that my third child was born um, that I really started to delve into my own family history and um, and I still I haven't had a DNA test yet, but I'm still going to do that at some point because I think there's more to the story that I yeah. haven't gotten. But, you know, it's but the parts that I do know were just, you know, it does feel like there's more a part of my understanding about my culture and how I came here and, you know, and all of those things that is incredibly um I guess I don't know whether validating is the word, but it 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 does make you feel more whole as a human and less stripped of 
you know, stripped of that culture because they're, they're, you're right, like a, a white culture is just a melting pot of nothingness. It, it, yeah. it is stripping away yeah. what was um, over, you know, over centuries. And, you know, it, it is there somewhere, but you've got to dig for it. Yeah. <laughs> you've really got to dig for it to find, yeah. you know, to find what's what. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty significant, but, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think this is why there is so much cultural appropriation in whiteness because people feel robbed by their whiteness and see these beautiful cultures from around the world that are so rich in music, in art, you know, song, story, all of yeah. the things, kinship, yeah. all of the yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and because those messages have been preserved, I mean, as best as possible, given the circumstances, be they horrid, um, you know, I think it, that is definitely why there is so much, um, you know, so much appropriation of those cultures. It really comes back to um, a feeling of lack, you know, yeah. in, in white communities. Yeah, yeah. And... <clears throat> you know I'll be I'll be real real here um some people just go out to do it just to do it because they know they can and um systemically we don't have protections to protect culture yes so this is part of the problem we don't have anything in law to protect culture so anyone can do it um, without any repercussions happening. You can um, copyright a, 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 or trademark a, you know, a business name, but you can't, you know, you can't yeah. um, put that on a culture. No, you can't have intellectual property of, for a group of people. Um, so all those kinds of things um, come into play. But a lot of the time, like, it, it is not intentional. It is like this is so beautiful I want to share this. I've had this amazing experience and I want to share this on because isn't it beautiful to share these beautiful experiences? But like I said, every single culture has them. We just need to start talking with family and friends and connecting the dots and doing the ancestry tests and doing some a little bit of digging about the history of places and I mean just the other other month my husband was having a look at his own history and um he found that where his family originated from um, in Ireland, their their group of people were the first people to wear pants. <laughs> and so that's well, something yeah, they wore kilts before that. I <laughs> well, I'm not sure how it worked, but yeah, apparently they're the first people to wear pants. So just little things wow. like that. It's like my family can be proud because we we were the first people to wear pants. Um, just little things like that. And just little kinds of ceremonies. I, I had another client who um, they found out that every there's a certain season and on a special special day in that particular month, they the whole community would go out and pick berries. And that berry picking was also a form of meeting new people or courting yeah. as well. So you spend a whole day picking berries and potentially you can because someone you eventually want to court or marry someday so just little things like that are so so special to have and know Mm -hmm. and I also believe that something I've always thought that I I need to know my story before I was born 
So my story before I was born and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and so on, so on, so on, that forms who I am, part of who I am. It still runs in my DNA. It still makes a part of my story. And what I do in my lifetime will make up the story of my grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. So it impacts us all along. We're still connected. Because we exist, we're connected, and that forms part of our story. And when we don't know where we have come from, who our family is, um, and the things that they have done, achieved, um, suffered through, all those things, I find that it can feel a bit lost. How do I fit into all of this? Mm. Knowing that shows us how we fit into this world how we fit into the the whole grand scheme of the universe kind of thing. And it does matter that we're here. We're here for a reason. We're here to make up part of that story. And this is also why I want to choose today to be a good ancestor. So I, oh, I'm getting emotional again. (laughs) I, I always think to myself, what can I do in my lifetime so future generations can be proud of me? you can say my great-great-grandmother did this thing isn't that amazing Mm. my great-great-grandmother um changed the way we were doing things in our family which wasn't helping us um or you know my my great-grandmother stood up for what she believed in Mm. she wouldn't put up with what is and she did everything she could to change it Mm. oh I am getting emotional (laughs) oh Oh, Louise that's just yeah really really profound and you know I I don't doubt for a second that that would stir something in everybody you know because that's our lineage that's you know into the future you know that's we're here to create a better place and you know I think that's it's so you know one of the ways that I try and live is to remember like I think what will I regret or you know what am I likely to regret therefore you know try and live I guess in avoiding regret because it's just too short we're here for like just that speck of time when you look over Mm -hmm. generations you know from like you know, from your ancestors, you know, 60,000 years and, you know, there's going to be 60,000 more. Yeah. Like yeah. we've got an opportunity but it's a small window in the scheme of all of those years, you know, or that yeah. that time, be it linear or nonlinear. We really only have a small chance when we're here. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, in terms of um, my culture and my people, the time that Australia has been colonised is so short. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and this is this, this is where this problem is, you know, where people say, you know, get over it, it was a long time ago, can't you just, can't we move on from this? The thing for us is because our, our knowledge keeping is so amazing, it is so powerful that those events are right now for us yeah so for instance I know 
the exact people who were standing on what we call now King's Park, yes. what we call Katakumba. Mm-hmm. I know the exact people who were standing on there and watched the very first ship come through the river. I know who those exact people are. They saw the ships come in. So you can't say that it's a long time when you know them, the exact people, you know them by name, you know, you know those things, you know their family, you know everything that's happened since that point before any of this was even here in Borloo in Perth. There weren't all these buildings. There weren't these skyscrapers. We have that knowledge. We have the knowledge before the seas rose. So there were communities here that if you come to this place now is actually under the sea. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful our knowledge keeping is. Um, And it all... It all continuously exists mm-hmm. and it's important that we keep that knowledge because this is how we grow. This is how we expand as a community. This is how we connect as a community and understand how we're connected to one another, how we know our stories and our dreamings and, you know, all the different multi-level dimensions of, of those things. Yeah. It's just such a short amount of time. It was not long ago. No. It was not long ago. And, and you know, like you, you know who those people were. And and I know who my people were too, you know, who came out on boats, you know, stole a bunch of onions, yep. <laughs> you know, sent to the penal colony. It's not that long ago. Like no. that, it's not that long ago. We have the stories, we have the records, Mm -hmm. you know. um, You know, you have the stories, we have the records. The records don't obviously cover all of the true records. We know that. We know the, the, you know, the atrocities that were, you know, that that were done. But, you know, it's just... It is such a short amount of time in in the scheme mm-hmm. of things, and there is yeah. so much healing to be done. But we get to yeah. do it together. We don't have to do it in a silo. We are all connected. Yeah. We are all here, and you know it. It's it starts with every single one of us. Every single yeah. one of us on this planet can make a difference in this area. Absolutely, and you know where we're always thinking. You know, how do we make things better? How do we make things better? Um, and there is this this resistance to changing a way that a lot of society does things. But if you can look at it from a different perspective, rather than looking at it at a, as a form of change of, well, we're denying um, our, our ancestors, they built this thing, we need to honour them. I kind of think, wouldn't it be more honouring to recognise that there is something that's not quite working and say, okay, you know, this system was built, this is the knowledge and capacity and resources and whatever input they had at this time, they did the best within this thing mm-hmm. um, and sometimes not the best. Sometimes they were very um, malicious in terms of hurting or harming or preventing people from doing certain things. But wouldn't it be more honouring to now go how can we make this better for more people? 
How can we include more of our community in the stuff we do every single day? Um, how can we listen at a deeper capacity? How can we have more compassion? How can we express more kindness? How can we connect at a deeper level? How can we build community in a different way that includes more people and they feel more loved and valued? And asking those kinds of questions. So it's not about changing our society or our culture. It's more asking, how do we innovate? How do we innovate this? So it's something better than it's ever been before. And wouldn't your ancestors love that? Wouldn't they be thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> well, I'm so proud of you for doing that. But, for you know, it might seem like a big task or, or hard, but you did it. You yeah. know, you you did it, and that's amazing. And then, sure. wouldn't our future, our children, and our grandchildren thank us and say thank you for not putting up with something, a system that wasn't working, procedures that weren't working, um, ways of treating each other that wasn't working for everyone? Because now we can benefit from the decisions that you made. Mm. So it's just. True. It it seems like a, a much nicer thing to do, really. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm down for it. <laughs> oh, Louise, this, I mean, look, I, I may as well just wipe out the, the next few questions because I just think we've just gone so deliciously deep on, on mm-hmm. things that we weren't planning on talking about today. Yeah. But I just, I'm just finding this conversation so rich and delicious and just always appreciate your, you know, what you bring to the table in this space. It's just, you know, it's nuanced in the right way every time, like with just all the flavours and I I love it. This question is going to seem probably more superficial after we've been that deep, but (laughs) let's go there anyway because because here's the juice. This Mm -hmm. is where we get an opportunity for people who are just at the very beginning who are going, Mm -hmm. wow, like, you know, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm not at the very beginning, but I still have a lot of work to continue to do. As I say, it's a life's work, not a season. I feel like I entered this work, you know, probably in childhood, um, you know, and and Mm -hmm. that's just continued on. But, you know, I, I just want to say for people who are starting out, and for people who are entrepreneurs, you know, online business women, you know, can you share with us some steps to creating inclusion and equity in our business? So just a bit of context for people listening. Louise did a training recently in my Solid membership, which was fabulous, where she outlined four steps to creating inclusion and equity in business. Can you maybe touch on some of those steps, Louise, and, and just what are the what are the tangibles that people can do in this yep. group? They're starting out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I did actually write them down. So I will have a look because I do, I do, I create lots of different courses, online courses, and depending on what you want to do, I provide you with different types of steps. So the first, in that particular training that we did, um, in that I did in Sharon's group, uh, the first step was acknowledging your privilege, um, and really just having a look at all the different um, things that class you as being privileged in some capacity. Um, Now, I want to preface this with saying being privileged doesn't mean your life necessarily is easy. It doesn't mean you don't go through hardships. Um, It doesn't mean that people treat you good. 
That's not what it means. Privilege is something you are in, you were just born with. Um, and it's based on a privilege scale or privilege system. And you, however you are as a person, is marked on that system. So just know that more privilege doesn't necessarily mean bad or good, or less privilege doesn't mean bad or good. It just is based on this system. And when you can really understand the spaces where you are privileged in comparison to places where you might be marginalized or oppressed, this can really help inform you to understand the spaces where you can talk about the things that are not good. So if you are in that oppressed space, you can talk about what's not working in the system, how you're experiencing certain challenges that other people on the privileged end will not experience or go through. But then if you are on that privileged end, that informs you that you can become an ally for people who are at the oppressed end of that particular thing. Um, and now there are lots of different um I guess, scales or spectrums of privilege. So one could be whether you have um, fair skin or dark skin. That is a particular spectrum. It could be whether you are rich or poor is another spectrum. It could be, um, and it can be down to things like, were you born into a stable family um, with two, two parents who loved and respected each other in comparison to you know maybe a single um, parent family or maybe a family where it was a quite a toxic relationship that family so there's lots of different things that come under that it could be have you always had access to clean drinking water this is not something that everyone has have you always had access to um, medical treatment mm. this is not something that everyone has access to so these are lots of different things you can look to yourself and see where are the spaces you are privileged and spaces you're not. The next thing you can look at is really trying to become aware of your unconscious biases. Um, and now this is something you necessarily can't do on your own. You usually need someone to help facilitate this unpacking or awareness gaining. Um, and it is you can do it on specific themes. So when I work um, in the Inclusion Creators Collective, I like to choose a certain topic per month to do the unconscious bias workshops. So some of those might be one on racism. We've had one on um, ethnic bias. We've had one on disability. We've had ones on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Uh, this next one I'm going to actually be doing tomorrow is on genderism, sexism. So you can do it on a whole bunch of different stuff. But I do encourage you to find someone who you do feel energetically aligned with and do the work with. So that could be me. That might not be me. I, my energy is not for everyone. I understand that. But find someone who is, and I'm going to say, who is marginalized, who creates this kind of courses or workshops and work with them because that is where you're going to get the real stuff and the real nuances behind them as well um, and also if you are listening I am offering one of my unconscious bias workshops as well um, so I'll provide that for free if you have a look in the show notes you'll find a code there so I'll send that through to Sharon you can access one it's going to be on racism so if you want to do some unconscious bias work on that um, go and check that out through that link but also in my workshops, once you become aware of them, we also work through, okay, now you're aware, what do you actually do with it? 
So that's um, that's a missing piece that sometimes there is when you become aware of some unconscious vices. Then we talk about um, knowing your niche. And I'm talking about your niche in terms, and now we're going to talk more into business now, your marginalized niche. So as a business owner or an entrepreneur, you have a set niche. And because business predominantly is built on this privilege system and the status quo, you're working with, so here's your, your, your dream clients are in this niche, right? You're only working with a certain amount of those clients, those most privileged clients, maybe the clients that look most like you, identify like you, but there is a whole bunch of clients who are your dream clients who need the thing that you're you know, they need the medicine that you're giving to the world, need the healing that you can provide. But because the way your business is set up, the way you're 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 using your language, you're using your your body, you're using your fonts, all the things, yeah, can be pushing them away and excluding them. And if you can become aware of that group of people and go, okay, well, what? How can I innovate my business in a way that first of all makes it inclusive and safe for those marginalized people to come into my space um but secondly how to actually go through the whole journey client journey with them to make sure that they are safe and valued and um feel good through that whole process Mm -hmm. then um the last thing you really want to do is look at business itself is quite damaging business itself in and a lot of business gurus will teach you how to do business, how to structure business, how to do your marketing, how to do your branding, how to do all the little bits and pieces. But it comes from from a lens of someone who's usually privileged and so they don't understand how business as usual or the status quo of doing business actually is quite exclusive to people who are very privileged. Uh, so there are so many people who are in your niche, who are your dream soulmate clients, actually can't work with you because there are too many obstacles, too many challenges. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how you can do it. But definitely start off with acknowledging your privilege and looking at doing some unconscious bias work. And I promise it will just start moving, rolling, rolling. Don't jump into it thinking you're going to sort it out all at once. It's just a one step at a time, one step, one step, one step. Um, and make sure you have support as well because sometimes, and I myself am putting my hand up with this, sometimes you can find some kind of unconscious bias or some story hidden under the surface which you can feel disgusted, you thought, or had, or you could feel shocked about. Um, and it can really start to make you question yourself and who you are. So make sure you have a support network in place when you're doing it, but it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be like that. It can be, it can be really, um, quite liberating. Yeah. Amazing. Lots of great takeaways there. And, you know, that for anyone listening who might be interested, that, particular training is in solid um it is actually part of our onboarding process so part of coming into that container is to work on unpacking you know our privilege and understanding how to create safer more inclusive and diverse therefore diverse spaces Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I mean it's always a work in progress but it's so great to you know to have 
this knowledge and continue to grow with this knowledge. And um, for, for anyone wanting to get that um, that training, that unconscious bias workshop on racism, it is fantastic. It is such a great workshop. And I just want to really echo what you said, Louise, about the importance of having you know, unconscious bias work facilitated by somebody who is marginalised, number one, and, you know, having it facilitated, number two, in order so you can get the right support because it can be confronting what comes up, particularly, yeah. um, and I can't remember where it is, but in, in doing this awareness work, um, as you move through the phases of that work, there is a, a space you know, sort of early on in the work, in the work where um, it can really start to like break down and challenge parts of your whole entire identity and be incredibly confronting and painful. Um, and, you know, it's not wrong. It doesn't make you wrong um, at all, but you do need a certain level of, you know, nurturing and understanding and, and for space to be held for you during that work. So I just want to echo that. It is really, really important, um, you know, for, for anybody doing this work to do it in safe places yeah. <laughs> where there's yeah. people who are able to do it and know what they're doing. Can't yeah. recommend Louise more highly enough, obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, for doing this work, but you know, it's, um, it is so great. Louise, I want to finish up on um, the question of what is, you know, we talk about allyship and, you know, I believe I have a fairly good understanding of what the word is, but because it gets used quite a lot in culture these days, I'd just love to get your, you know, your true meaning or essence of what allyship is and mm -hmm. And, you know, any sort of key message that you have for people who are wanting to be better allies? Because I love your TikToks on this, by the way. <laughs> oh, I love the TikToks. <laughs> I love doing it. You're um, the only person that's gotten me to use TikTok. <laughs> I, only, I only go on there to look at your content the rest of the time. I'm not on there. <laughs> well, that's, that's a bonus. That's a big bonus for me. Thank you. Um, so for allyship, to me, Allyship is a verb. It's actually not a title. So you can't say I'm an ally. Mm -hmm. You can say I'm being an ally when you are actually doing stuff. So if you are take, if you are putting the work to un unpack your privilege, if you are doing the work to unpack your unconscious biases, if you are uh, listening to marginalised communities and learning from those communities and then doing what they are asking you to do. So they, they will ask you for certain types of support. It might be, can you attend this protest? It might be, can you um, send a letter to your local representative? It could be, can you donate to this particular cause? Or have are you able to, I don't know, man a barbecue? Whatever it is that they're asking of you as an ally, you're doing that thing. It could be things like um, making sure you've got captions on your videos or transcripts. It could be making sure you've got an interpreter. It could be um, making sure you do an acknowledgement of country at the start of every gathering that you have. Um, you know, there are so many different bits and pieces. It could be something like um, on your website, online um, applications is not the only way to do it. 
If there's someone who's not tech savvy, they can give you a call. So it's about making it easier for people to access you, um, but making sure you also have the capacity to learn about that particular community and what's required from that community, make them make sure that space is well set up for inclusion. It's set up for them already. So when they come to you, you're not rushing around going, oh my gosh, I've got to set this up, set this up to make sure that they are cared for. It's more, it's already done. It's already there waiting for them. And if you never get a client that uses that, that's okay too. But the thing is, if they choose to come with you, you're already got them in mind thinking about how can I make their life easier? How can I reduce the challenges that they will experience in other businesses, but not in my business? Um, just things like that. How can I actually include them in my decision-making processes? Just things like that. Um, will really, I love really that help. analogy of, that you use around, you know, having a seat at the table and yeah. actually preparing that seat yep. so that it's there vacant and ready yep. for when they arrive rather than, yep. you know, everybody reshuffling around to try and, you know, make themselves fit at the table. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we've all experienced that when we've arrived to something late and everybody's kind of had to reshuffle around and it's sort of awkward, like everybody yeah. wants them there at the table, but there's like this awkwardness yeah. rather than, hey, we saved your seat, like yeah. come on in, here's your spot, yeah. like right yeah. here, you've got everything you need. There it is. We're all here to support you. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very different it's a very different vibe. Yeah. And business is different in general. You know, gone are the yesteryears where um, you could say, this is who I am, this is what I, I do, or this is what I sell. That mm-hmm. was enough for business. Now it's, this is who I am. This is what I sell. This is what I do. And this is what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be more than just selling something now. You have to have a vision for how your business is impacting the world or the community in some way. Yes. And if you don't, potentially you're losing people who would normally shop with you or become a client because you aren't talking about what's important to you. I know that I seek out businesses and if they say something like, um, and so many of this of our proceeds go to this particular charity or we make sure we use environmentally friendly products or we are we are um, working to a zero carbon emission or those things help me make buying decisions. And if you don't have them, there's a good chance that I probably won't do business with you because I don't know where how that money is going to be impacted in the world on a larger scale through your business. Mm. Um, so this is where just talking about social um, social issues that we have in our community, you can start doing through business um, and looking at in terms of your business, are you supporting the disability community? Are you supporting the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community? Are you supporting the LGBTQIA plus community? Are you supporting the um, older age community or the younger age community? All these things how I, how is your business ready for those communities? How is your business supporting those commun- communities in basically pulling apart the oppression? Mm-hmm. 
getting rid of it and actually liberating um, those communities to have full access to our society, to our businesses, and to, you know, joy and thriving. Yeah. How are you doing that? Um, also, that? also um, if you do want to do a course on specifically on businesses, who want to be inclusive CEOs? I'm also got a free um, three day workshop. I never know whether to call it a course or a workshop. Let's call this one. This one workshop probably <laughs> it's it's probably more like a course. So um, it's three days. You get three emails, and it's one hour per um, per course. And it's called. It's a bit cheeky for guck the status quo you're here to be a socially conscious ceo and that will outline everything um in a much better way much more detailed well with pictures and everything um for you if you want to do that so i'll send that through as well that's a free three three day thing as well you get directly to your email um because in it it's so much stuff and in all honesty I probably should charge for that <laughs> because it is it is really really good um but it, this work is just so important a lot of the times I just think it's better to get it out there than to charge for it um because money in itself is a form of oppression too yeah it really is absolutely Ah, oh, Louise, I usually finish up with three questions that I ask all of my guests. I'd love to, mm -hmm. I'd love to ask you. And these yep. are obviously I know you haven't prepared for these. Uh, what would your folk, how would your folks describe what you do for a living? <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer that. <laughs> um, well, because what I'm doing is essentially activism. Um my my mom was actually really quite terrible. Well, actually, both my parents were quite terrified because the idea about activism um, and protesting what is is has been pushed onto them to not do. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Bad people do that kind of stuff. So tree hugger was something I was often called <laughs> a tree hugger, um, which is not a very nice term. Um, but in all honesty. They were terrified because I thought I'd be arrested or something for the work that I'm doing. Um, but they are so proud. Yeah. So proud. So I would say terrified is the first word. Yeah. Proud. Um, and so double-edged, isn't it? I mean, yes, there yeah. are genuine real fears there. Yeah. There, there are absolutely genuine real fears there, which is absolutely the serious side to to all of this. Yeah. There is a danger. Yeah, there is absolutely a, a threat in terms of um, safety in this kind of work, for sure. Um, this The last word, the last word, what would I put as the last word? I think they would just pretty much say it's me. It's who I've always been. It's how I've always been. I've always been the person to stand up against bullying and discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, my entire life, I've always been the one to question things. I've always been the one to go um, against authority, not to go against authority, but to speak up for human rights and justice. Mm -hmm. What has been the most joyous part 
of your life and business to date? I love hearing the stories. When I do a workshop with a group, so I'll do workshops within other people's groups or I'll do my own courses um, in my academy or in my um, the Inclusion Creators Collective. But when I hear about the stories of how it has gone on to impact people in a different way, um, in a beautiful way, it tears, there's always tears because that's the whole purpose of it. The whole purpose of it is to make people feel like it's okay for them to exist as themselves and to be completely who they are and they're loved and accepted. They belong, they're valued and cherished and there are people there who really love them. So that's, that is, that's the biggest joy that I ever have is seeing how the ripples, that inclusion ripples happen in the world. And lastly, Louise, where can our listeners find and follow you? So you can follow me on um, my website. It is louiseoreilly.com.au. It is a little bit out of date, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I do and I work, I'm, you know, I'm a solopreneur, so it kind of gets put on the back burner. So you can follow me there, but I'm predominantly on TikTok now under Louise O'Reilly. You can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I love, if you love short form video, you probably get along you know quite well with me because that's that's the thing that I love um and even if it's just something you're thinking about like you know is this something you want to to be pursuing you want to start learning about this stuff just come and check me out because I answer a lot of questions that a lot of people who are just starting on that journey ask just have a look at them see if it's for you by no means am I saying everyone has to do this uh like I said at the start of the podcast I'm not here to change anyone. I'm not here to convince anyone. I'm not here to do anything of that sort. I have a beautiful vision where everyone is loved. Um, and we we really cherish and love sameness and difference as well. And that can all coexist in harmony. If you like that kind of vision, you can come along the journey too. So it's just for everyone. <laughs> it really is. And I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to be in your membership. I'm so grateful to to know you and to learn from you and, you know, just continue to do this work in a way that I know makes a difference but also in a, in, in a way that also makes me as a person feel very safe as well, which, you know, I think is really important that, you know, we can do this work and, you know, and be safe and be held regardless of, you know, any of our, our individual circumstances or backgrounds, um, you know, and, and especially that's, I'm particularly grateful for the space that you hold um, that, that is just divine and, you know, and, and really, really, you know, life-changing. So thank you so much. This yeah. has been such a juicy chat. Oh, it's, I have <laughs> to say it's just probably been one of my most favourite interviews to date. Um, I'm just so grateful to have you here and um, Louise thanks again thank you for all your work we'll make sure that uh, everybody's got those uh, access to the unconscious bias racism uh, workshop and also the uh, for cook the <laughs> <Pro>. um, <laughs> 
you become a socially conscious CEO um, training series, a little mini course there that Louise is running, absolutely free. Um, seriously, that is the first way that I started working with Louise um, was to have a look and opt into some of her free masterclasses. She blew my mind at the first one. And I think I like I messaged her and I was like, I missed the end because we were going to car somewhere. And I was like, but can you send me the link? <laughs> I want to sign up um, and I think that might have even been before she finished the masterclass. I was like just you know give me give me the link um mm-hmm. it's so worthwhile and um and such a great investment in you know in I want to say in modern Australian culture or global culture whatever it be it's an investment yeah. that makes a difference so yeah thank you so much you're so welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the listeners for for hanging out for the, the <laughs> hanging out with us. You know, if um if you have any questions or anything, please don't hesitate. Please just get in contact with me if you have any questions or anything. I have loads and loads of free resources. You know, podcasts, videos. There is just so much. So even if you aren't in a space where you do want to purchase anything, that is totally fine. Or if you're in a space where you're just like, let's just test this out there is just so much for you. So please just check it out. There really is. Louise's website is packed with freebies. Um, And of course, just consuming your TikTok and Instagram content is going to make shifts for for our listeners. So thanks, Louise, again. So much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. listening to the joyous journeys in life and business podcast i'm your host sharon joy jump on over to find me on the web at sharonjoycoaching.com and if you're a coach healer or you're in the online entrepreneurial space i really encourage you to jump on over to louise's website check out her offers and in particular her inclusion creators collective it's a fantastic place that's going to support you to unpack your privilege and create a safer space at the table for some of our most marginalized people